0: I walked in to see him and he asked all the other officials to go away and he says, look, I'm going to give you an hour and uh, you decide. If you say no, I will fundamentally cancel your license.
1: Hello, this is Owen Bennett-Jones. Welcome to Make or Break, where I speak to remarkable people who reached a moment where they just had to make up their mind with guests spanning from across the business world, we'll unpack those critical moments and explore how these CEOs and entrepreneurs managed uncertainty. My guest today is Ramash van Gaal, the man who brought Pepsi to India. He was part of the Cola Wars. Coke was king in the United States and Pepsi was exploring new markets around the world.
0: Two of the biggest US corporations, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, have slugged it out for market supremacy in every country of the globe. Each determined to humble the other and establish its supremacy.
1: India had huge potential. The country of more than 800 million at the time had seen little foreign investment. And Pepsi thought it could be the company to change that. But it wasn't gonna be straightforward. Acutely aware of the country's colonial history Many Indian politicians were opposed to Western companies entering their market. Regional politics played a huge part, too, in the regulatory conversation, as did the
0: national media. There were probably 8,000 articles in the press going on about nationalism. Major leaders talked about this and were all stacked up against us.
1: Ramesh Vangal wanted a deal. But to achieve it, he was going to have to make a decision that put his career on the line. So uh, Ramesh, thanks very much for joining me. And let's just go right back to the beginning of your time with Pepsi. You joined in 1985, I think.
0: That's right. I joined in 1985. How old were you then? I was 31 years old. So
1: just give us an impression of what the market was like at that time. Was Coke already in India?
0: Well, India had had Coke, really no Pepsi. And they were asked to leave the country because they refused to compromise manufacturing of the coke concentrate locally. So along with a wave of nationalism, starting in 1973, they left the country soon after because they refused to divulge the formula of the imported concentrate. Coke had no interest to come back to India. So the market from an international business perspective was barren and it wasn't just Coke. If you looked at total foreign direct investment in India in those days, it was probably in today's terms, less than $30 million, 30 million on everything. Today, it's probably close to $100 billion. And to a large extent, There was an enormous resistance to what they felt was a country ravaged by the East India company, and East India colonialization was something which was very sensitive. Every entry into India by a foreign company was based on them meeting some overwhelming national priority. The attitude was, what technology are you bringing in and what foreign exchange impact is there through your entry? And there was the belief that foreign companies squeeze the foreign exchange out of India. So as a consequence, hardly anything was approved. So what I was charged with was the task of saying, what can you do? They wanted a large amount of impact on the social level. So when we went into India, we proposed that we would export various products. We said we would export Industrial items, we would export rice, we could do many other things, to which they said, no. And the reason was this in Coke's absence, a strong soft drink lobby had built, who wanted to make it impossible for us. And they said, you will have to manufacture what you export. And you've got to demonstrate that you, PepsiCo, have technology in that area which you are bringing to the country. So it's in that climate that you were trying to bring what people felt was a useless consumer product which brought no nutritive value.
1: So entering this market was not easy. You've got this strong local lobby that's making things difficult for you, and now you're offering to help with exporting, but that is still not enough. So what did you do next? So
0: we actually made a proposal, and this was cleverly crafted because we had the support of a big Indian well-known company, the Tata Group, And in addition, we had a partner who was a a company owned by the government of Punjab, which is in the north. And the government of Punjab company said, We want agriculture because we want our farmers to benefit. At that time, uh, Punjab had a massive unrest because there was a secessionist movement and they wanted to separate from the Union, the Union of India. And to them, the heart, blood, is in agriculture. They needed farmers because they are primarily an agrarian state. And they also wanted to increase income for their farmers to be able to control the, uh, the unsettled situation with regard to secession. So as a consequence, the Punjab government was totally for it. So we put together a proposal which in a nutshell said, we will export $3 for every dollar import of Pepsi concentrate. That was one The second thought was, we said we will process and put up manufacturing plants of agriculture in Punjab so that we help the state move from its wheat paddy rotation towards horticulture. Because India produced a lot of fruits and vegetables, but much of it perished before it was consumed because of pure logistics. So the idea was, when you process, you hold them. So that was a proposal we went to the government with. So, so just to explain where we got to, the, the Punjab government is, you know, getting quite
1: keen on this. You're giving a lot. You're sort of giving a lot of concessions. And uh, they're thinking, yeah, I mean, this, this sort of works for us. But the federal level, the national level, they're thinking, no, this is breaching our policy of keeping Western companies out of India.
0: The central government was still influenced by our opponents in the soft drink, who were determined to ensure that no foreign entry came inside, because if they did, they felt they would have no business. This became a massive debate in Parliament. There were something like 300 questions in Parliament. It was extraordinarily politicized. There were probably 8,000 articles in the press, and these articles in the press were primarily against us because it was uh, A rabid press going on about nationalism and how the Indian government was capitulating or could capitulate to multinationals again and invoke the memory of the East India Company and India. That was the background. So we then mounted something unusual. We actually formed an alliance with the largest farm union in the country, the largest farmers union. And this was called the BKU. The BKU had probably more than five or 10 million farmers. So they started supporting us. And this required me to go around and lobby with many of these people and say to them what we could do for India. And each time when the opponents became more vocal, so did we. You know, we've probably exaggerated the impact that Pepsi could have on the farmer's lives, but you get caught up in the fray and the temperature raises, and this became a much bigger item. So we were really positioning ourselves as Punjab farmers and farmers in general against the evil interests of businessmen in Bombay who were trying to, let's say, nix the consumer. That was the kind of battleground that had been sent. And the other hand, we got Ratan Tata who was probably, and now the chairman at that time, he was a relatively much more junior when his uncle was on the scene. And he had been persuaded to come along with us to the Punjab to support. So the Tata group added the credibility, the Punjab government and its farmers were the front, and we were fighting across the enemy, you know, from the soft drink industry.
1: It, it seems to me quite unusual that a corporation with a lot of international reputation to protect would get so involved in a sort of gritty political battle basically you know the unions versus the government and this sort of thing and you you you're getting right in there and i imagine corporate headquarters would have been saying do we really want pepsi
0: to be associated with a big political battle i've got to admit that the the person who handled the new york end was a very savvy gentleman called Nestor Carbonell, he was a Cuban origin, but he was a diplomat and he was extraordinarily uh, savvy from that perspective. He's the head of corporate relations for Pepsi and global relations. So he managed this particular process, but he clearly trusted me not to do something by which I would trigger a huge controversy in India. Unfortunately, it had become a controversy. He got me to meet the chairman emeritus, if you like, Donald Kendall. And he was known as a fairly major force in terms of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So I got introduced to him and Lester said, find a way of getting him on our side. And we did. I was invited to spend two nights at his chateau-like estate in Connecticut. So it was a very interesting kind of relationship. Kendall liked me, and he liked the fire. And then he said to me, hey, why don't we go up to Congress? So we went up. I remember meeting with uh, the Secretary of State, and we met with Kissinger, and we met some of these guys. And what Kendall's position was, India needs to change if they want recognition in the international framework. So we were way above our league. But what happened was, automatically, I got a lot of cover.
1: Okay, so you've got um, the United States, basically, you've you've got that sorted. You've got your backing in America, and you've got your fight on in India, and you've got somewhere, you're sort of edging
0: towards agreement. So what, what year are we in now? We got approved in 1988, September after three years of intense fighting and lobbying in terms of different kinds of proposals. And the only condition the government had was on the brand name. It had to be a hybrid brand name. You could have a foreign brand name connected with uh, Indian brand name. You remember Leyland, right? British Leyland, you had Ashok Leyland. That was the way it went. Modi Xerox, that was the model given to us. So we basically said, yes, I will have a brand name called Pepsi Era. ERA was also a, a brand name which should have been an Indian registered brand name. And that is something that I had got approval to, Pepsi Era, because it basically was a description of what Pepsi was doing in India. That was the way we had thought about it.
1: If you're enjoying listening to our podcast and feel inspired by some of the leaders you're hearing make tough decisions in make or break situations, you may want to equip yourself with the skills and capabilities to make your own difficult decisions. If so, the Open University's micro-credential, Management of Uncertainty, Leadership, Decisions and Actions is designed for you. Visit openuniversity.co.uk forward slash management to find out more. Ramesh Vengal had spent huge sums of money on branding, millions on manufacturing and vast amounts of political capital, getting all his partners on board. Pepsi era was ready to hit the market, but the deal wasn't quite done.
0: Let's have a look at the results that we have so far. We've been talking about leadings or leaving. Now results are coming in fast and thick and we'll have much more tomorrow morning.
1: After three years of intense lobbying, Pepsi had been given the green light. But a change in government meant Ramesh Vengal was faced with a new food processing minister, Asharad Yadav. He was part of the National Front Coalition that had taken a strong position against the soft drinks company. The minister felt the name Pepsi era was too anglicized for the Indian market, and one day in 1990, he invited Ramesh Vangal into his office with a proposal.
0: One day, I was called in to meet Sharad Yadav. And uh, he is a guy who only spoke in Hindi. My Hindi, being abroad for a large part of my life, was not great. So, I walked in to see him and he asked all the other officials to go away and he said that he did not really like the idea of Pepsi coming inside, but it was forced. And he says, I have thought a lot about it. You will call yourself Leher Pepsi. Now, I didn't know what Leher meant. So I was trying to figure out what it meant. Then finally. He, he explained it to me because I told him, you know, I don't really understand that word. He said, Leher means a wave, like the wave in an ocean. So he says, you will call it Leher Pepsi, and it must be first, not the second. Pepsi can follow. Leher will be the big brand name. This was shocking because we had printed, I don't know, maybe five, six million, ten million bottles We are all prepared glass bottles, you know, with the, we had burnt the logo on, so there are permanent labels. And here is this guy, after we had hired bottlers, put money into manufacturing, and, you know, signed up franchises, and we are about to start. The only thing we require is the green signal on the brand name, and that had already got approved, but he said, now it has to be Leher Pepsi. And he says, look, I'm going to give you an hour, and uh, you decide. If you say no, I will fundamentally cancel your license. So you've got one, one hour uh, to, to decide, and you didn't really know
1: the meaning of the word leher, so that's quite difficult. And there
0: was no phones. There were no mobile phones.
1: Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing, because if you'd run headquarters, they'd have probably gone into a panic and said, we need to think about it.
0: Well, don't forget, this was in the afternoon at two o'clock. Headquarters were in their beds in Connecticut sleeping. So yeah, yeah. so they were not there. The corporate assets in New York were at home. Right. And I said, yes. Now, I'm not saying it was impulsive, but I wanted the deal to happen. And I said, yes. And he had a big smile and he wrote that in hand, Leher Pepsi. And he gave it to me and he signed off on the file. And he says, go and do what you can for the farmers that you promised and we will not trouble you. That was the basis.
1: Now, I imagine that there were, you know, in your mind, to talk us through it, because you must have been thinking that headquarters might not like this. Uh, that it's it's Leher is before Pepsi and it's not the agreed Pepsi era. I mean, you've also got to destroy, presumably, all the bottles that you'd, you'd printed off. Uh, but the main problem, I guess, would be whether the company would accept, you know, a dilution really of their brand
0: identity. Absolutely. You know, for a company like Pepsi, the majority of its, let's say, valuation is in the brand. The goodwill lies in the brand. And often the goodwill is about four or five times the value of the assets. So as a consequence, I went back and I was struggling with myself. It was something where I thought that I mean, I need to prepare my bio and look for another job because I didn't know what was going to happen because I had made a commitment. I had no authority to make that commitment. Absolutely no authority. And that's the one thing that Nestor Carbonell, my boss, who was senior vice president of corporate relations said, whatever you do, don't make a commitment on behalf of the company without checking with me. And I had. I mean, there were circumstances, but that was the situation. And this was on a, if I'm not mistaken, it was on a Friday. So I called up late night, and I remember there was a stony silence from Nestor Carbonell. And he said, oh God, And I I didn't quite know how to interpret, oh, God. And I knew it wasn't a happy, oh, God, but it was saying, oh, God. So this was a challenge. And then I heard nothing over the weekend. And then on Monday, I heard nothing. Tuesday, I heard nothing. On Wednesday, uh, Carbonell had told me that, look, uh, I have not necessarily shared what you have told me with anybody and I'm going to try and find a way of managing this. I'm going to talk to Kendall, and I'm going to try and pitch this because he's been involved. He said, otherwise, he said, not only you, but frankly, my neck is on the line, too. That was the situation. So it is a very tense situation. A week later, I got a one-line fax to say, after difficulty, the hybrid brand name Leher Pepsi is approved.
1: I, I'm a bit surprised the corporate headquarters agreed. Were we, we you? Totally. And uh, very relieved. Yeah. In terms of the jeopardy that you faced, you know, had, 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 the, had the, the company, Pepsi, said, no, you know, you, you've exceeded your authority. We don't want to do this. It's going to dilute our brand name. Uh, they could have fired you. Could they
0: have done worse than that and actually sued you in some way? I don't think they could have sued me. Well, I never thought about that, but what would have happened is after having made this such an event with seven, 8,000 articles in the press, you know, and all this feature about Pepsi, to go back with your tail between the legs it would have been an enormous insult, not only to the company, but it would have probably meant that my career was dead, And by that time, you know, I had fought for the Pepsi for about four years. I was from no longer 31. I was 34 turning 35. And this was a desperate kind of situation. So in this event, I frankly did not really grasp what would happen. And I didn't want to go back to New York for a while because I didn't know how I would be treated. And it was only much later that I realized all had been forgiven. And they were looking at this in a different manner. But otherwise, I stayed in India for a period of time, not wanting to go back because I didn't quite know what I had done. And I knew the impact on a company which views two things as sacred, the brand name and the concentrate. And I had messed with both.
1: Okay, because you'd agreed to make the concentrate in India rather than import it. Yes. Well, this all obviously paid off. By 1993, you were selling over 20 million cases of Lehar Pepsi a year, and today Pepsi is still the third most popular soft drink in India. So I guess the question is, how much money do you think has been made as a result of that decision you took?
0: Well, I won't know the exact profitability, but the business currently is in many billions of dollars.
1: It's Pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it
0: was a big decision. <laughs> more, more, more important, more important its impact on opening up foreign investment was enormous. After that, somehow, we saw a whole host of other people showing interest. And I know I was talking to the Asia Society in New York. I was talking to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And I was fated as somebody who knew, you know, a lot about all of these things. I I was called to a Harvard Business School case study. There were two of them. And frankly, there was a lot of interest in what we've done about opening up in an unusually difficult circumstance in a market which was very inimical and yet was a massive uh, opportunity long term. And I remember going up to the board of, uh, you know, maybe a subcommittee of the board to make a presentation of the PepsiCo board. And all I said was, I think it behooves a company of our size to take a risk for some amount of money to make an entry into India and that to get an early mover advantage. That was the basis. And I think that went through. But during that time, in the initial period, I can say that there was a lot of people who would not have done what uh, I had done. So there were two camps. It became quite controversial within Pepsi, too. And uh, so it was a very in- an interesting thing. But this had a lot of, let's say, follow-on impact into the, into the media, into the social consequence. And actually, this helped catapult the brand into becoming, in its early stages, extraordinarily successful and basically taking a lion's share of the market, well-outselling Coke, which was not the case uh, everywhere else in the world.
1: Remish. how you don't mind asking a personal question. Are you married? Yes. So apart from the decision to marry your wife, which obviously would be the most important decision of your life, uh, this must have been the biggest decision you ever took. Yes. And the thing was,
0: uh, I rationalized it afterwards, to be honest with you, but I followed my gut. At least marriage is an emotional decision, but it's considered over a period of time. This is something which you don't have a lot of time. So if I were to look back on the decision, I thought it made sense for Pepsi. Now, who was I? I was just a minor player in the total pyramid. And I was making a decision for the corporation on something major, which I knew. So I, I thought yet it made sense to enter into India, you know, and to make an entry into India, and there was no other way. The second was, I said, let me take a risk let me be bold. And the third was, I stuck to it. Meaning, because once you're in a particular position, the worst thing you can do is to turn around. So I just stuck to my guns and irrespective of all the criticism I got, I said, I believe it's a right decision. And you found that slowly, a lot of the people who were against you, their opposition wavers and ultimately it vanishes.
1: Now, we've been trying to draw lessons in this series, uh, lessons of, you know, the experience you've gathered and what what it's taught you. And I I can see that uh, sticking to your guns is an obvious lesson and, and, yeah, that makes total sense. But I'm more troubled by your lesson of follow your gut because surely it's better, isn't it, when trying to manage uncertainty and trying to uh, cope with these decisions to to, to base it not on your gut but on, on rationality, on figures, on calculations, on
0: rational process? Well, look at it another way. In this, there were no numbers. It was an emotional decision. Pepsi would have done well, whether it was called Pepsi Era or Leher Pepsi. So it didn't affect the economics. But what it did affect was the perception of what the brand name represents to the company. So it was more on an emotional level. That's one. Two, there was no other way. And I also calculated in that hour that if we pulled out, because my mind was going through, and if this guy said no, the reverberations, it would have been a massive loss of faith for Pepsi globally. So yes, you were forced to make a decision. Yes, it was highly risky, but I thought I had no other option. That was the determination I had. And it so happened, since then, the impact of that Leher Pepsi had huge follow through impacts into marketing. And that was probably one of the reasons why Pepsi became as successful in India as anything else. A Leher Pepsi is a Hindi name uh, mixed up with a brand name Pepsi. Now this led to something major in our advertising we basically coined a slogan called Yehi hai, right choice, baby, aha. Yehi hai,
1: right choice, baby.
0: Hi, I'm your new neighbor. Can I have a leher Pepsi? Uh, yeah, sure. That was so significant, Olin, in the sense that that for the first time allowed the English-speaking elite and the vernacular to kind of come together. Until then, MTV, which had launched in India, was all, let's say, Western English music, American music. And suddenly, it became all right to mix it with Hindi. So, Hinglish, or local language plus English, became common, and it became accepted. So, Yeah, he had right choice babies, a combination of English and Hindi, which captured the country's imagination. And I can say probably is one of the most successful commercials ever made. And that actually made an enormous impact on the business and indeed on coming generations and the way they articulated their consumer interest.
1: You're saying it it, it
0: didn't just affect Pepsi's balance sheet, it affected Indian culture, really? In a sense, yes, because today, look at it. If I'm a politician, I'm a guy who's coming from a local language, I don't feel confident talking in English. But here, it was all right for me to mix the two. So in a sense, you'll find that there has got to be a hybrid, and that exists today in
1: India. Well, Ramesh Vangal, it's it's been a fascinating uh, discussion listening to you, and it was an extraordinary situation that you had one hour and a whole of Pepsi's fortunes in your hands at the age of 34. So thank you very much for talking to us.
0: Thank you very much indeed.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Radio Wolfgang for Audi. It was presented by me, Owen Bennett Jones, and it featured Ramesh Van Gaal. It was produced by John Joe Devlin and Eli Block, and the executive producer was Ellie DiMartino, with support from the Open University.